It's good uh, that we get to spend one more week in our sermon series, Breaking the Silence. And I've heard a lot of positive remarks in terms of how God has been using this theme and this series and what we're doing on Sunday mornings to speak to people that are in the midst of winter seasons right now. And you may recall that we, we took a little survey of how many people are in winter seasons and I think it was 30% of our people, I said they were in one, but it was only 20 people that responded to the survey. So I think it's a little skewed. My guess is there's probably more in a winter season than what the survey uh, said. So welcome back. We're talking about uh, these winter seasons in our faith journey because like the song Season says, winter... Like, a, like the frost on the rose, it comes for us all, right? So it's going to come, um, and, and we often have multiple winter seasons in our lifetime, and we've talked about through this series that they can vary. They can vary in length and intensity and, and content, and no two winter seasons are exactly alike, even in our own life. You know, we'll go through a winter season, and then our next one can look completely different then the first one, or the one before it. Um, for some people, it's spiritual dryness, where God, they just, he just feels distant and, and uh, silent. Uh, for other people, it's conflict in one of their relationships. And yet, for others, it's a season of prolonged waiting. And they're saying, how long, Lord, <laughs> must I carry on in these circumstances? Um, and then you could, you could come up with a whole list of other different types of winter seasons that we experience. But the one thing that they all have in common is that they include a degree of suffering. They include a degree of difficulty. And so because this is part of the Christian life, we are asking the question, how do we as Christ followers navigate these winter seasons? What can anchor us when, when the winter storm is just raging all around us, when like, the visibility is, is zero and we can't see what's ahead and we don't know what's ahead and there's all this uncertainty? As we experience sorrow in the winter, what can keep us from downright despair? How do we ensure that the bitterness of our winter does not leave us bitter? But actually, for having gone through it, we, we arrive at a better place. How, how do we navigate these seasons? And so uh, we're going to the Christmas story to see what we can learn about this. And as we've journeyed through this series, here's what we've learned by looking at the, the Christmas story. Is that it can anchor us. I think these are out of order. Oh, it's double-sided. I'm like, whoa. Nice. That's so weird. It's like an optical illusion right now. So here's what we've learned. God hears us when we cry out to him. He is working in our waiting. And as a re result, we can expect unexpected goodness to come. So that's what we've discovered so far by looking at the Christmas story. We're going to go back to the Christmas story this morning, and we're going to learn one more thing that can 
anchor our souls in the midst of winter. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a a wilderness shepherd, that you are our rock, and that anchored to you, even in the fiercest blizzards, we can be unmoved. We can be steady. We can be, although our hearts hurt and we experience sorrow, we can be a person free from despair. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you were willing to enter our pain and suffering. That you were willing to take it all upon yourself. Because you ultimately want to give us victory over it all. And one day, you will totally rid this world of all the pain and suffering that exists. We are so grateful for you. Lord, teach us. Help us. We need you. You are our Savior. We cannot save ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I really enjoy Christmas season, the the whole season. I know not everybody does, but I do. I love the way our house looks inside and out. Mary does a great job decorating our place, and I enjoy the decorations. I enjoy going and getting a Christmas tree with our boys and listening to Bing Crosby as we decorate the tree. I like the way that that pine smell fills our house, and I would be all about an artificial Christmas tree, but I'm just not yet at that place where I can let go of the pine smell. People say that's what candles are made for. I get it, but there's just something about that tree when it first comes in your house. I love um, eating good food, getting with family, eating plenty of Christmas trees. I like my... Eating Christmas tree cookies. I love. <laughs> do. I do. I really do. Yeah. Eat Christmas trees this Christmas. That's what you heard here at Abundant Life. Um, I love my Christmas blend Starbucks coffee. Does anybody else like that, that, that blend? I like it. I have it all Christmas season long. It's expensive, though. I just realized how much it was, and I just never paid attention to the price, and I wondered why we have no money in our bank account. (laughs) I love what we do here at Christmas, and our creative team has done a fantastic job with everything. The theme, the decorations, the activities, they are awesome. Yeah, let's... uh So for me, Christmas is such a, a, a season of celebration and fun, and it should be, um, because it really is, what we celebrate is the beginning of God's Son, in the words of J.I. Packer, emptying himself, laying aside his glory, voluntarily restraining his power and accepting a life of hardship, Isolation, ill treatment, malice and misunderstanding, and a death that involves such agony, spiritual even more than physical, that his mind nearly broke under the prospect of it. This is the beginning of that journey for Jesus. In other words, the first Christmas was the beginning of the Son of God making himself poor so that he could make us rich. And so every Christmas, we have such reason to celebrate, but here's the danger. 
with all the celebrating that we do at Christmas, with all the fun activities, it's easy for us to forget how extremely difficult that first Christmas was. That first Christmas season was difficult. And contrary to Silent Night, all wasn't calm and all wasn't bright. There was difficulty, there was confusion, there was darkness. This morning, I want to look at the darkness that surrounded Mary and Joseph during that first Christmas season. Because although, as we saw last week, God brought about a whole bunch of unexpected goodness for Mary and Joseph, there was still no doubt a lot of pain in a lot of difficulty and darkness. So let's check out that darkness that surrounded these two individuals that first Christmas, starting with Mary. So Mary, she was from this small town of Nazareth. It's estimated that there were only about 400 people there in that town. And it was most likely inhabited by poor people, people low on the socioeconomic ladder. It was most likely inhabited by farmers who couldn't afford their own land, but farmed other people's land, shepherds, that sort of um, clientele, if you will. And as a result, it's believed that Mary came from a poor family. And due to the fact that in Jesus' day, women got engaged around 13, 14, 15 years of age, it's also believed that Mary was no older than 15. And as joyful as it must have been to have this angel come and to speak to her and, and to receive and this news that through her, the Savior would be born, this long-awaited Messiah that her people had been waiting for for hundreds of years, there had to be <laughs> some confusion there. There had to be like, how on earth is this going to happen? And you can sense that in Mary. If you look at the dialogue with the angel, and the angel just basically tells her she's going to have the Savior of the world and just basically tells her that this is what Gabriel told her, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's not a lot of info. That's not a lot of info. Mary must have had a million other questions. God, why would you pick me? I'm nobody from nowhere. Can I really do this? Where will I give birth to this child? What, what, what will Joseph think? Will he leave me? If he does, then what? If people think I had an affair, I could be stoned to death. That was the law back then. What if I'm a deadbeat parent and I mess up the Savior? There were so many unknowns for Mary. So many details that God left out and didn't provide for her. And yet her response was this in Luke 138. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And then there's Joseph, right? And so Joseph, I'm sure, was in utter shock when he heard the news that Mary had been pregnant, or that she was pregnant. Um, his mind had to be reeling. He, he had to have experienced so much grief in that moment and in this season. It was a winter season for, for Joseph. It was a winter stretch. His whole future had changed. He had to change from going, you know, envisioning his life together with Mary to envisioning life separated from her. 
And then on top of that, he had, as he was grieving, he had to figure out how to divorce Mary quietly so Mary wouldn't be stoned to death. Talk about a stretch of winter for Joseph. Grief, sadness, sorrow, uncertainty. What was his life now going to look like? Now, fortunately, an angel of the Lord came to Joseph and told him that Mary really was pregnant with the Son of God and had, been, uh, had become pregnant by the Holy Spirit in that the long-awaited Messiah was surely coming through her. But that's all the info Joseph got. That's not a lot of information. It's not a lot of details. Surely he had similar questions to Mary. Who will believe us when we tell people this? Would you believe Joseph? No. How will I raise the, the Son of God? What will this child be like? How will this affect my marriage? And yet Joseph was willing to move forward with God's plan, even though he really didn't have any idea what it would mean for him. And then months later, you have Mary and Joseph, right? Um, just when they got through that trial... Another one came. So the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, decreed that the entire known world at that time uh, had to be registered for the purposes of taxation. And so that required people to go back to their hometown. Well, where was Joseph's hometown? It was Bethlehem. Guess what? That was a grueling, hilly, 90-mile trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it was winter. And over there in the Middle East, during winter, it would have been 30s and rainy most every day. Oh, and Mary was nine months pregnant. Nine months pregnant. I can only imagine Mary's thoughts and what Joseph's thoughts were. God, are you serious? There is no way I, Mary, can walk for 8 to 10 days straight for 12 hours in winter, 9 months pregnant, to get to Bethlehem. And there was known to have, be robbers on the path. There, you don't get in your car, right, and go on the highway. There was known to be wild animals, lions, bears, like that. Those were all for real threats. I could see Mary thinking, I felt comfortable having my baby in Nazareth. I was prepared for that. But having my baby in Bethlehem? And what if I go into labor on the way there and we're in the middle of the desert? Then, then what happens? God, why? I'm going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Shouldn't this be easier? And, you know, and they were traveling all that way to Bethlehem so that the Romans could tax them. They hated the Romans. They were already too heavily taxed by the Romans. Can't you, God, change Caesar's mind? Do we really have to do this? Why didn't you protect us from this, Lord? Despite what concerns Joseph and Mary had, they made the trek to Bethlehem, and because of God's sustaining grace, they made it there safely. And just when Mary and Joseph thought they were in the clear, and they, even though they were totally exhausted from their trek, 
they encountered another setback. There's no place for them to have this baby in Bethlehem, and Mary's having contractions. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And Mary just got done traveling for 8 to 10 days for 12 hours, walking. And if she rode a donkey, I mean, still, can you imagine that? I've never been pregnant, um, but I'm just thinking, I know women have a hard time, like, driving in a car. They can't even breathe. Like, that baby's just all there. This had to be another, oh, my goodness, are you serious for Mary and Joseph. The only shelter that Mary and Joseph could find was an animal, animal shelter. So no sanitary hospital room. Instead, the smell of manure just all around you, all up in your nostrils. No electric lighting. Straw all over you. Dirty, swelly, dirty, sweaty, smelly clothes, blankets. Your body's all stinky and swelly, smelly because you've been traveling for so long. And then Mary finally delivers Jesus. Who knows how many hours she labored for? And then when this baby was born, she would have wrapped him in some unsanitary cloths, just blood everywhere. And when Mary and Joseph had no strength uh, to hold Jesus any longer, they had to place him in a feed trough for the animals. Can you imagine? And once again, just when Mary and Joseph looked to be clear in the clear and they were going to live, you know, Forever happy ever after, there's Herod. Another winter storm was, was brewing on the horizon. This puppet king of Rome who ruled over uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, he found out about this baby to be born and that this baby was born and this was supposedly the ruler of the Jews and Herod was the ruler of the Jews. And so what do egomaniac, greatly fearing leaders do when there is a threat to their throne and they feel like they're going to lose control? They start killing people. That's what they do. Herod murdered his wife, his wife's mother, three of his sons because he viewed them as a threat to his throne. This guy was nuts. So crazy that the, the Roman emperor said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Herod flipped out about Jesus. And so what he did is he had all of the males, two years old and younger in Bethlehem and in the surrounding regions, slaughtered. Thankfully, God warned Joseph in a dream <laughs> that this was going to take place. And so they went to Egypt. They went to Egypt, but guess what? Egypt, if I can find my way here, was 40 miles away. 40, so they had to do another trek of 40 miles. Mary and Joseph had to wonder, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? This doesn't make sense at all. Why did you allow this to happen? And now we can see that that first Christmas was not all calm and it wasn't all bright. 
So when you sing Silent Night, don't be duped into thinking that that's how it actually was. It was one winter stretch after another. There was certainly anger. There was certainly sadness, fear, confusion, and doubt. If we believe otherwise, then we are believing that Mary and Joseph were like God. God. They were human beings. In the darkness, this is so important. This is important for you. In the darkness, Mary and Joseph repeatedly made the decision to obey the light that they had received. With all the uncertainty, with all the questions, with all the unknowns surrounding them, they decided to focus on what they did know. And they decided to obey what they did know. They didn't allow their circumstances, they didn't allow their negative emotions to dictate their actions. Like sailors in the midst of a storm, they kept focused on the lighthouse. And that lighthouse brought them safely to shore. Or like soldiers in the midst of a firefight, they continued to obey the orders of their commander, even when those orders didn't make sense to them. In Luke 1, which has been, you know, which we know as Mary's song, you, we have Mary celebrating and rehearsing the light that God had given her. Luke 1, 46 through 56 reads this way, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he was regarded, he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. In Luke 2, when the shepherds find Mary and Joseph and they report their encounter with the angels, angel of the Lord. And they say to Mary and Joseph what the angel told them. This is what it says about Mary in Luke 2.19. That she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. In Luke 3, when Mary and Joseph were, were at the temple dedicating Jesus... There in Jerusalem, a man named Simeon took Jesus in his arms and said this about Jesus. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. After Simeon was done sharing in Luke uh, 2.33, the scripture tells us that Mary and Joseph marveled at those things which were spoken of him. I believe that Mary and Joseph's decision to rehearse, to ponder, and to marvel at the truth God revealed to them about Jesus is what enabled them to keep on keeping on. When we're smack dab in the middle middle of a winter season, the enemy does his best to get us to forget about the light that we have been given. Satan wants us to develop what one pastor, Larry Osborne, uh, calls spiritual amnesia or spiritual myopia. 
Spiritual myopia is when you can't see past your current circumstances. Your perspective becomes so narrowly focused on the problem and the difficulty of your situation, the injustice of it, the pain of it, the cost of it, and that's all you can see. All you can see is this Goliath in front of you and nothing else. And what you do when you're under the, the spell of spiritual myopia is that you analyze your present circumstances and you anticipate your future circumstances without God as a part of the equation. You're, you don't include what you know about God's power, his promises, nor his character. You're unable to see God's sustaining grace in the moment. All you can see is the size of your problem. You cannot see the size of your God. And what happens is when you are under the spell of spiritual myopia is you start to doubt in the dark what God has made clear in the light. That's spiritual myopia. And then there's spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia is when you get so caught up in your present winter experience that you forget all the wonderful things God has done for you and said to you in the past. And as a result, you're unable to draw on God's past faithfulness to give you courage to trust him for his present faithfulness. Both spiritual myopia and spiritual amnesia leads to a loss of hope. Like Mary and Joseph, we have a choice to make in the winter. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of pain, in the midst of confusion, in unanswered questions, will we rehearse, will we marvel, will we ponder in our hearts the light God has given us? And will we choose to obey it, even, after, even if at the time it doesn't make sense? Or will we succumb? to spiritual myopia or spiritual amnesia. Osborne says that the moment our problems seem bigger than our God, we are either seeing poorly or remembering inaccurately. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, is one of those electric passages of Scripture that can help us resist spiritual myopia and spiritual amnesia. It's a passage of scripture that helps us to rehearse, to ponder, to marvel at the light that we have been given. It's, it's a passage of scripture that helps us to reflect on God's power, his promises, and his character. So that we see our present difficult winter experience through the lens of faith. Let me read this portion of scripture to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brother, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there are is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. 
These verses are so important for us when we are in a winter experience. And if you're in a winter experience here today, these are so important because they mention two disciplines that are critical for winter seasons. The spiritual discipline of thanksgiving is the first one that is mentioned, and this is key. God uses thanksgiving to open our eyes to his past and current faithfulness in our lives. Thanksgiving allows us to rehearse and to ponder and to marvel at the lights we've been given. If you are in the midst of a winter season, I encourage you to engage in this practice of Thanksgiving for a set amount of time every single day. And then there's another spiritual discipline that's so important for the winter season, and it is taking our thoughts captive. This is absolutely critical if you're in the midst of winter. Because taking our thoughts captive allows us to focus on the light we've been given and to reject thoughts that don't align with the light we've been given. This is critical. And a simple way to practice this discipline is to ask four questions. What is the thought? Is it true? What does God say about it? And am I going to believe God? What is the thought? Is it true? What does God say about it? And am I going to believe God? Martin Lloyd-Jones has said, I love this quote, most of the unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Most of the unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. And look what happened when Mary and Joseph obeyed the light that they were given during that first Christmas season. What happened? They were given more light. They were informed that they were going to give birth to God's son. They were willing to go through with this. I mean, they didn't really have a choice, but they, they, went, they, they responded in obedience, and guess what? God gave them more light. you got to go to Bethlehem. They make the trek to Bethlehem. Guess what? God gives them more light, right? And God told them they had to go to Egypt. The obedience to the light we have been given leads to more light. The same is true of you. He's going to give you more light. As you take steps of obedience, you're not going to have it all at once. That's what it means to have flashlight faith. And guess what? It's actually a grace that God gives us because if we had all the light at the beginning, we wouldn't have to remain dependent and reliant and near to him through it all. I'm going to have Sarah Senefton come to the stage because we, in this series, we're having people share their experience with the winner. And so that you can see that what I am preaching on actually happens and it actually works. And that Jesus truly is that wilderness shepherd. Let's give her a warm, abundant life welcome. Yeah, so I, uh, I appreciate you being willing to do this. This is always, this takes courage. But I think this has to happen in our church. 
because we have to be as authentic and real and transparent about the Christian life as we possibly can be. Because when we bring things into the light, the darkness cannot overcome it. And when we talk about things and we get it out, then healing can come. God's, God's restoration can come. And I think too often in the church, um, we are not open and honest with especially our winners. And then so when other people are going through winners, they feel like they are unusual they feel like they are less than, that they're not a good Christian, and all those nasty lies mm -hmm. that aren't in alignment with the light that God has given us. And so thank you for your willingness to do this. I love you. I love you. She, she's my sister-in-law. She's a good sister-in-law. So, so, all right, so you've been in a wilderness. You've experienced the winter. Yeah. Yeah. And in two particular ways, as it deals with singleness and as it deals with trying to figure out, God, where do you want me in terms of my vocation, my career? And those are, that's, that's difficult. So tell us about that. Like, how difficult has that been? What are some of the negative emotions that have come into the picture? Mm. What are some lies that the enemy has, is tempting you to believe in the midst of all that? So talk to us. Okay, so first, I'm just going to be really, really honest. Um, I almost vetoed Shane mentioning my singleness. Um, <laughs> it is not um, for two parts. For first, it, it's close to my heart, and it's not always the easiest thing for me to talk about. And so um, chances are I'll cry repeatedly. Um, please just, you know, forgive me for, for that. Um, and, and secondly, because... Um, that particular winter season in my life has been a long one. My entire adult life, I've been single. No, I do not know why. Please don't ask. I cannot give you an answer other than God is God. Um, but um, it, there have been such moments of light in it. So, yes, it's a winter season. Yes, it's a difficult part of my life. Yes, it's a season of waiting. But so much beautiful goodness of God in it. Um, and so I guess that's one of the first things that, um, and I'm probably getting ahead of things, but that's one of the first things that I've learned in winter seasons is that they can coexist with goodness. Mm -hmm. um, the hard parts in our lives always coexist with the goodness of our God. And, and so it might hurt to get up every morning at, at certain points in life. It might hurt um, to talk about things, to be around um, certain situations. But in every single hurtful, painful moment, there is still the goodness of our God. Um, so um, my winter seasons, um, yes, singleness has been a winter season. I don't understand. I don't know what God was thinking. Um, <laughs> clearly, I would be an amazing wife and mother. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he is not on the same page about that. Um, so, so that has been, and, and there's, um, with singleness comes a lot of self-doubt. Like, is there something wrong with me? Um, is there, uh, was I created badly? I have doubted the goodness of God's creating of me. Um, I have been very skeptical that he did a good job when he made me. And I have allowed um, singleness too often to be the proof um, that God made a mistake with me. Um, so, so that has been a hard thing. Um, to work around and to remember uh, that that's a lie of the devil. 
Um, mm -hmm. And um, then as far as my work situation, um, so I uh, went through a bit of a slump in my life. I didn't, I was, felt like I was not where I was supposed to be, but I couldn't begin to guess at where I was going to go. And I was really mad. Um, I am one of those people, I'm not going to try to pretend that I'm not mad at God. <laughs> I figure he knows. And so I'm just going to let him have it. Mm -hmm. And so I was telling him what was up <laughs> and a little bit about himself. <clears throat> and I was really wrong. <laughs> um, and, and so I had it out with God. And I said, listen, I don't understand why you made me the way you made me. And then put me where you put me. Mm -hmm. And... So I, I was I was ticked, um, and 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 I said, finally after after living in that frustration for a moment, um, God in His mercy, the Holy Spirit in His kindness mm. reminded me that I am not in fact God, um, and that I'm poor, poor, terrible excuse for an idea of God, um, and that. He has made me for a purpose. Um, he reminded me that those purposes are in teaching and in writing specifically. Um, and so I opened my hand and I said, well, I don't see how you could possibly do this, Lord. Um, but you go right ahead. If this is what you say is true, I'm just done fighting you. So what you say is true more than what I can see, and I, and I, will, I will just accept that. So... In the course of the next couple of months, and I'm probably talking too much. No, you're doing um, great. I love this. This <laughs> is wonderful. And so this was about a year and a half ago. In the next um, couple of months, um, uh, I just started to look for opportunities where God would ask me to teach or to write. And um, my sister-in-law and my sister can be a little pushy, and I love it because it's really good for me because I'm a sit still and wait for things to happen me kind of, kind of person. Um, and so my sister-in-law and sister got a little pushy with me about the idea of getting my teaching license renewed because it had um, expired. And then God put everything in place so that I could get my teaching license back. And so then last uh, January, I, I finished my courses. February, I got my teaching license back. I'm like, yes, God is going to put me where he wants to put me. I'm so jazzed. I did not get a teaching job. Um, <laughs> it is, this is, and I don't get it. Like, I felt like I was walking in those steps of obedience, um, and I don't get it. So the temptation there for me um, and I believe me, I lived in it for a, a couple of weeks, anyhow, was to sit down and be like, I obeyed. I did everything right. I did everything I was supposed to do. And God, you didn't come through. What kind of God tells me what to do and then doesn't, he brings me to the, what felt like a finish line. Um, and then, psh, nope, that's not what you're going to do. Um, so those have been and are, I mm. guess, kind of the winter seasons that I've been dealing with. Such a great explanation and description of the win winter seasons. Like, that's fantastic. Thank you for being honest about those thoughts and the emotions we have, because I think I find even myself, we're also often most embarrassed about that kind of internal dialogue that happens, but it happens in every single one of you. D I, I've talked to enough of you people. <laughs> it happens in every single one of you. So why, well, let's just talk about it and be honest about right. it, right? Right. So um, now tell us. So you said, and I think it's so true, um, there's two si simultaneous tracks, I feel like, in life always. There's good that's going on, and God's always good, right? Mm -hmm. And then there is difficult things that are happening. So talk to us, since you described the winter experience, what, what has been some of the lights that uh, he continues to reveal to you? Um, 
what is uh, some of the goodness that is coming about in your own heart mm. in life through these circumstances? Um, can I just start with advocating for every single person who's in a waiting season? And I believe that everyone in this room is probably waiting for something. Um, so if you are in a waiting season and it's feeling a little bit blustery and like some snow's coming, um, start reading the Old Testament. Um, I love the New Testament, and there's a million truths there that are amazing. But um, the, the New Testament makes following Jesus look so fast and instantaneous, um, and like everything just happens, boom, 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 boom. When you go to the Old Testament, dude, those are my people. They waited for everything. God would come, show up, give the word. They'd be like, yay, and then 50 years later, Finally, it's happening. Um, those are my people. And it has done my heart immense good to camp out there and hang out with my people and be reminded that the promise doesn't necessarily come two minutes before its fulfillment. That's our 2019 mindset. We are not willing to wait on anything. Um, and, and, and we think that everything should be as simple as the fast food drive line, which is not always, especially if you're at the Dalton Wendy's. But regardless, um, we think everything should be that easy. Um, and it's not. Um, and it takes time. So I've been camping out in the Old Testament. Loving that it's just such an accurate thing. Like, God is so immensely faithful. Mm. They've got to wait forever for it. But God is always, always, always faithful and on time um, in ways that they don't understand, I'm sure, in the moment. Um, and, and so I can rest on what they um, have experienced and know that the same God of the Old Testament who promised something and then moved 25 years later um, is the God who's promising me, who's calling me. Um, and so why should I expect to be any different um, than the Old Testament saints who waited forever in a day um, to see what God would do? Mm. So that's, that's huge. Mm -hmm. um, another um, huge, huge, important part that I am still very much at work on is disciplining myself to remember frequently that God is good. Now, here's the thing about God's goodness that I've learned it doesn't always look good to us mm -hmm. because he gets to be the one that defines what is good. I don't. I have this warped, sinful perspective on life. And so I look at what's in front of me. I look at what God's doing in my life, and I say, that's no good. Mm -hmm. But I'm stupid. <laughs> I don't have his eternal perspective. I don't see all the details. I don't know what he's going to do around the next corner. Mm -hmm. So he is good even when it looks like he's not doing good. And there is a m huge measure of faith in that. Because you don't get to say, well, he's not good because of this one moment. You have to say, okay, I'm going to suspend my skepticism. I'm going to suspend all of that is in me that wants to resist this truth and say, whether I see it or not, he's good. Um, and so that's essential. Um, and then my, my third one is really what you were talking about. It so very much matters where you look you will see what you look for. Mm -hmm. So if you are looking for the goodness of God, you're going to start to see it. If you are looking for God to speak to you, you're going to start to see him speak or hear him speak. Mm -hmm. um, it matters where you look. Um, and this, is, by the way, if you in any way, shape, or form think I've got this, 
I will tell you a thousand stories yesterday of how I failed in this area. So like, don't think that I've got this straightened out. This is me in a moment of strength remembering all that God has taught me. <laughs> this is not me every day, day in and day out. And I've got a sibling and some parents and a brother-in-law who can attest to the ways I trip and fall on this one. But those are the, those are the three areas. Fantastic. You did an awesome job. I am not surprised. Let's give her a round of applause. Hey, stand with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can uh, praise you in the midst of the storm. Thank you that we have so many reasons uh, to praise you for. Lord, help us to look for your sustaining grace. We're all about your delivering grace, but sometimes we struggle with your sustaining grace. Lord, help us to be okay with that, to appreciate it. Lord, I pray that these individuals, especially if they're in the midst of a winter season, would take on the habit of thanksgiving and taking every thought captive. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.